0: State, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap back, hand off, and again off the right side, he's got a hole, 15, yeah, to the 10, to the 5, steps inside, touchdown, Chuck Yann from 21 yards out. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Is that right? The San Francisco Giants scored 10 runs in the first inning against the Rockies? Is that right? I know they scored at least nine, and they're up 10 and up now. So cow. very popular, Possible. Goodness gracious. Right now, a month into this thing, the Giants would have to be one of your surprise teams in baseball, probably along with the Royals. But man, 10 run first inning? Ugh. At Colorado, oh, that's that's a rough start for that one. We're going to have a better start to that with our show tonight. Hey, we're here Tuesday night, Sports Highly on the Husker Sports Network. So glad you tuned us up here tonight and listen into the uh, the program. We got a good one lined up for you tonight. Brian Christofferson, Huskers twenty four seven, going to join us here in a little bit. We'll get his observations of the spring game, and I also want to pose to Brian. What, what were questions that maybe were answered in the spring and what were some unanswered questions in the spring for Husker football? Now that the 15 practice sessions are in the books, we'll get BC's take on all of that coming up here in a little bit. Husker basketball, we told you yesterday, picked up a verbal commitment, a young man that will sign here in the next couple of days, Coran uh, McPherson, who is a six-four point guard from Queens, went to a prep school down in the Ozarks, uh, added to Fred Hoiberg's class, which is a top 20 class in the country. And I, I hope people appreciate that, Ben. This is a program that it's year three for Coach Hoiberg that in the first two years have been not not great at all, and yet this staff puts together a top 20. That, that's remarkable. Is I mean, that's a <laughs> – and I know there was opportunity there, but that's incredible to have a top 20. Twenty class, when you've had the results on the court that Nebraska's had the last couple of years. Yeah, we ran through this a little bit
1: um, on on the signing day, uh, kind of just talking about where Nebraska is at, and obviously the McPherson um, commitment boosts that you know that that recruiting ranking a little bit more. But it's just it's just phenomenal, and, and a lot of times, you know, with these recruits, it has been just the relationship that Coach Abdul Massey has built with these guys over the years it's not like some of these guys are just you know uh guys that he finds and identifies and starts to build a relationship within a couple months a lot of these guys that have committed he's he's known for a long time and i think that's just starting to pay off in all these situations not just the incoming freshmen but with the transfers as well you know guys like trey mcgowans and um, C.J. Wilcher and, I mean, even McPherson, he's known for a long time. So I think that's just been uh, a kudos to Matt Massey and, you know, selling them on the vision that they have for Husker hoops. And, you know, for them to not just one or two of them, but, but several of these prospects to say yes, it just got a major
0: kudos for, for getting the recruiting job done. Yep, no doubt. So speaking of that and Husker basketball, Robin Washit of HuskerOnline.com is going to join us. At the top of hour number two, we'll get his take on this. And also, Robin was down in Hutchinson a week or so ago for the National Junior College tournament, which is a fun event. If you, if you love basketball, that one you need to go take in. It's the national tournament. It's a fairly easy drive from most points in Nebraska to get down there. And you see some tremendous players that play in that National Junior College tournament. It's usually in March this year because of COVID. The tournament got pushed back into late April. Robin went down there because there were a couple of Huskers, one who has signed with Nebraska and one that's committed to Nebraska played in that. So he he uh, got in that car of his and headed down south and took that tournament in for a couple days. We'll get his take on all of that. We're going to go beyond the headlines. I, I'm, I'm anxious because Mick's doing it tonight, man. He's a bit of a wild card. When Mick, when Mick gets into the mix... Uh, you know, I'm not, not quite sure what to. Not that I'm nervous about it, but I'm, I'm intrigued by what Mick will bring to beyond the headlines. It, it probably won't be some, you know, horror film type thing or French film type subject that Tim might throw at us. But it, it's all, it's a little, it's. I'm just intrigued by what Mick may bring to the table tonight with Austin. He's a lot softer around the edges than Tim is, so I think this is going to go without a hitch. I'm
1: not okay. expecting, uh, you know, much. Controversy. I don't think he's going to be throwing shade at anybody. I think it's just going to go, you know, pretty much as script. Mix a golf guy, and that's a yeah. gentleman's
0: sport. So I think that's pretty much how he'll <laughs> he'll will approach it tonight. Uh, yeah, that'll be fun. All right. Uh, also, hour three. It's Tuesday. Top ten Tuesday coming your way. We're going to each put together our list of top ten guys that impressed us in Saturdays matchup with the red and the white at Memorial Stadium. There were a lot of names to choose from. I I left a couple guys off that I probably shouldn't have, but... Um, yeah, it was tough whittling it down to tens. There were a lot of guys that, that grabbed my attention in Saturday's scrimmage. We'll see what Ben and, and Austin have with their top 10 list as well. And we are going to have another Cornhusker State games here in the state of Nebraska. It'll be in late July. Dave Maneric, who is executive director of the Nebraska Sports Council, will be with us in the third hour to give us the updates on deadlines, what might be new to the games this year. What, how maybe COVID has changed, how they operate the games. We'll get all that information from Dave coming up in the third hour of the program. And, as always, if you'd like to join us, 531-500-4686, the number to call us up with a comment or a question or a text. Either that number also doubles up as our text line as well. Saw a, a story the other day, and it might have it been our good friend Adam Rittenberg who put this out, Ben, that he did a, a survey of, of some of the top – particularly the Power Five commissioners, about their thoughts about the future of college football, the future of the playoff. We've got about two more years left in the current format, and then they can tweak it. So for the next two years, it's going to be the same four-team field. And they're looking at at three, several different, well, four different options, really. One, leave it alone. Two, maybe go to a six-team playoff. Uh, another version would be an eight-team playoff and then finally a six-team playoff. And the story that I read, Ben, said that the, the, the preference of most of the commissioners is to expand it in a couple of years to eight, which would be automatic bids for the Power Five Leagues, one bid set aside for the group of five conferences. So that could be a UCF in a certain year, a Cincinnati, a BYU, uh, th- those type of things, and then two at-large bids where they can fill in the blank with teams that did not win their conference but are deserving of that bid. Uh, your thoughts, if that's the way, and I think I just as I'm, as I'm reading the tea leaves, I think that's where this is probably headed in the next three to four years is to an eight-team playoff for college football at the end of the year. What do you make of that, and would you be okay with that?
1: I mean, I feel like my first reaction is I'm not surprised. Anytime there's any kind of tournament or bracket format, we're always going to expand it, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> we went from a 64-team field and hoops, and we felt like, oh, well, 68's got to be the number, <laughs> and then now you've got the 69th and the 70th team throwing their hands up go well, what about us? You know, I – so it, it, it's not shocking me at all. I mean, I knew immediately when this playoff was passed down that this was going to be wanting to expand because there's going to be one or two controversial years where teams five and six, or there's a conference that got snubbed, or you know, as we're finding out, the group of five teams felt like they deserve a shot, and and so this whole thing's going to get um, blown up, and we're going to expand it. Kind of thought we would go maybe to six teams before we jump to eight, but. I, I I feel like that if this thing's going to expand and they're really trying to um, you know keep it at something that can can be sustained for multiple uh, years, then eight's probably the way to go. Um, because I feel like six wouldn't do anything. Honestly, I feel like you know we, we say we, we expanded the the NCAA tournament to give mid majors a better shot. To get in right well that that hasn't happened and we all know that that hasn't happened and i feel like we would expand to six thinking okay well we can give teams like now we can give teams like ucf a chance or we can give teams like boise state a chance we all know that's not going to happen you're going to get another sec team and another you know power five team in some place and you know those cincinnatis of the world from last year are, they're they're never going to get a shot and so I feel like if, if we are truly expanding it, and I feel like it's impossible, it's totally inevitable now that we're going to stay at four teams, which I, I would probably prefer at this point. If we're going to expand it all, I, my preference would be to go to eight, and you know I think the breakout that they have, pretty specific um, you know, guidelines of how those eight would be filled. I feel like I would be okay with that, and I feel like we're going to be less inclined in you know 15, 20 years to feel like we needed expanded um, any further than eight. And look, I, I was I'm a huge proponent of every Saturday counts in in college football, and that's my biggest my biggest gripe with the playoff all along. is, you know, I think every year you can you can make the argument, and and I still I'll, I'll die on this hill, Greg. That I feel like. Once once you're getting to about four most years, past four, the ch- quote-unquote championship-caliber teams drops off a cliff significantly. We know by week 10 to week 12 of the college football season who's worthy of being in the national championship discussion. That's different than being in a playoff discussion. Those are two different conversations. You, you, when you watch teams and you say, okay, you know, like Alabama last year, you knew – was a national championship caliber team. Clemson and Ohio State, a national championship caliber team. Then, then there was kind of some gray area, right? So why are we why are we including even more gray area in this, um, just to give another team a chance? You know what I mean? Like, the college football to me has always been sacred in that regard. That if you lose on a Saturday, your chance of winning a national championship decreases exponentially. So I'm for every Saturday counting, every Saturday mattering. I, I you know. Losing on Saturday should be a big punishment, and instead, you know, you've got you're going with an 18 playoff. You're going to have teams that lose three three games and have it be okay, and still and still make the playoff. And so, I think at some point, the national championship caliber
0: teams falls off, and I feel like we're way past that threshold at eight. You know, I, I saw Nick Saban address this a week or so ago, and, and he brought up two points, and I want to mention them and then get your reaction. One was. Doesn't it diminish the rest of the Bulls even more? And I think think the answer to that is yes. If you're not in the eight, but you're nine or ten, does your team really care about going to that bowl game? And two, how many more games are you asking these guys to play? And what are the chances more and more guys opt out? I mean, if you're a number one draft pick, and right now you're asked to play one extra game because of the four, you were going to play that, you play one extra game, and two teams play one extra game. You go to eight, and you're asking a handful of teams to play two, and in two teams' case, three, three, well, two extra games. So, is it worth it for those guys? And how many players are going to go, Yeah, I really want this, but man, I don't want to get hurt and lose my draft stock by playing in a quarterfinal, then a semifinal, and then a finals? Or do you? And, and as Saban brought up, he said, aren't, aren't our conference championship games kind of a quasi beginning of the playoffs? And I think he's kind of right. I mean, the SEC title game is usually a chance to eliminate somebody from that. The Big Ten championship game some years, it's not a lot, but some years has been that way as well. So, I, I mean, again, h- how much more are you going to ask out of these student-athletes for what, for what? I guess our, our enjoyment of this thing, and then two, for everybody else who's not in that eight – does postseason lose its meaning? I think it probably does to a certain to a certain extent.
1: I would happen to agree with Coach Sabin on both accounts, and I feel like those are both points that that I would, you know, if I had to state my case, that would be on my list to argue. Um, and those are more kind of concrete, you know things, results of this as opposed to just personal feelings. And the, the playing the extra games, I feel um, there's not really a great reason for it other than, you know, personal satisfaction. You know what I mean? Like people wanting to see how UCF would stack up against, a, a, you know, a, an Alabama or how that Zach Wilson BYU team would have fared against Georgia or how, you know, go on and on and on. Cincinnati, we saw how they performed against, you know, Georgia in the, in the bowl game. So yeah, I mean, I look, I I, I am always going to be a pro bowl game guy. I, I'm a huge fan of the bowl games. I, I was skeptical about the the college football playoff as it was. I thought their idea behind it and the way they executed it was was good. I, I wanted to see a little bit more uh, data go by for for each year that passed with the playoff and what um, the committee, you know. Preached every week to us during the rankings as to what was more important criteria than others, and then I st- I thought you'd start maybe to see um, the shift of, of college football '80s and coaches based on that fact. So yeah, I mean I think there's a lot of th- a lot of reasons why. And then the other the other part to this that we're not really mentioning that kind of goes into that is I mean these student athletes already feel controlled. They already feel like they don't have a voice with this fight with the name, image, and likeness situation happening right now, you know, you're going to fight that battle at the same time you're going to ask them to play two more games? I'm just not sure that that's, that's a smart move to make. And you're absolutely right. We're already seeing the number of sit-outs in these bowl games skyrocket from year to year, and and you know that number is only going to go up. So that's that's definitely going to be play play into it as well. And, yeah, if you're not in that top eight and you're not – you know, if, if you're just going to keep grabbing the most prestigious bowl games as it being a ladder to the national championship, there's not a lot of incentive to play those bowl games, in my opinion.
0: The, the other side of this argument is right now you've kind of rotated the same five or six teams in the 14 playoffs since we went to that concept. It's kind of been the same, same group of teams every year. If you expand it to eight, you allow more opportunity for other teams to get in there and their fan bases to stay fired up deep into the season because they have a real chance of making that thing at eight. I, I get that. I think there's some truth to that. I, I would agree with some of that logic. But, again, I think the counter of that is is if you're going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft and you're sitting there going, okay, we got the quarterfinals, then the semifinals, then the finals. Whew, that, that, that really increases my odds of getting myself hurt and missing out on my real payday playing big-time football in the National Football League. So hey, prepare yourself, folks. You're going to hear a lot about it in the next couple years because we have about two more years left in this current contract with the four teams set up. And then I do believe, I think, it's going to probably expand out. Huskers spring football practice now in the books after the spring game on Saturday. And none better to give us some thoughts about that than Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7. Good evening, Brian. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Got my
0: got a little bit of my yard work done today. Got quick quick uh, run of the mower because they're talking about a little rain tomorrow. So it was a good day outside today. Um, give me a couple of impressions you had from Saturday. Give me what what are a couple of things that come off the top of your your mind of what you saw.
2: Well, uh, I'll start with the wide receivers. I mean, I, after all the talk and everything about Omar Manning and you know him not being involved last season. Uh, it seems like he had a good spring, good enough to go out there with the, the ones on offense to start it off. And I, I felt like that the receivers and Adrian Martinez, um, you know, Oliver Martin, Toure, and Omar Manning had a pretty good chemistry, it, it seemed like, on those first couple of drives. So um, I know Omar dropped a, the long one, which would have been nice for 50-plus yards, but it was it was good to see Nebraska – you know, throw it deep on a windy day, and uh, the ball was there, and um, you know the receiver had a couple steps on a on a DB. So uh, that was promising, and I enjoyed that. I also thought, you know, it's hard to know what to make of the running back situation, and it still is as far as who's where, and I think there's a lot to be sorted out. But I think fans leaving the stadium probably felt like they've got some options on the table, and uh, now it's a matter of. You know, can two or three guys go from being solid uh, to something more than that? And uh, that's going to be the big question. And I think Gabe Urban is a big story. I mean, I, we're talking an early enrollee who uh, had 12 carries, had more carries than anybody else in that scrimmage. And um, I know it was kind of touch football in the first half, but he's a guy who who sort of looks like a natural out there. And uh, on his first touch, I loved how he scooted around the outside and got about 10 yards, and I wonder if they had to tackle him if he might not have scored for about 23 yards on his first carry in front of fans. So that was a pretty good first impression, I thought.
0: You know, I I think we all had questions going into spring. Which one of those, if you think back to what your thought process was, Brian in March, did they answer, and which ones – remain unanswered and will be intriguing to all of us in the coming months as we get prepared for the fall.
2: Yeah, and I didn't to, – to answer that question and the group I didn't touch on, the defense, I think, answered a lot just with depth. I felt like yep. as you watched it unfold Saturday, um, that sort of was confirmation as you watched even some second and maybe third-team guys uh, play pretty well, you know, like Blaze Gunnarsson. Blaze Gunnarsson is going to have to fight like heck to be on the two deep this year. But, you know, he beats Turner Corcoran for a sack and, and had some really nice plays and was very active. And that that's your future there. and So it was good to watch a, a practice where you're watching some first- or second-year players who don't necessarily have to be forced into the fray this year. If they can work their way in, that's great. Like, if Nash Hutmacher can work him, his way into contributing 10 to 12 snaps a game this year, that's excellent. But the, the fact is he, he might not have to, and yet he's still, you know, him and Marquise Black and Ruquan Buckley, some of these really young guys, they look good. And uh, I like that about the defense, where you looked out at the second and third team, and you could sort of see the picture beyond 2021. And so uh, I thought there was confirmation there. I think there was some confirmation, kind of going back to my first answer with the receivers that Scott Frost has been bullish on that group, and I can see why they feel like they have the depth there. Um, the uncertainties to me uh, would still be, would still be running back. It's do you have that 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 home-run guy yet or, uh, or not, and that, that needs to be answered, and obviously we don't know what Marquis Step brings to the table yet. Um, and then the O-line, you know, it, I, I thought they had a good spring, but it, it's going to come down to can they be a reliable group when it counts on, on the early downs, and I think that's going to decide so much. If you look at last season, Nebraska struggled too much on first down and put themselves in bad down and distance situations throughout the year. And so it's really going to be on that old line, uh, you know, to put it on their shoulders and be the type of group where you can run downhill and get four or five yards on first down pretty routinely.
0: What was your evaluation of, of quarterbacks two and three on on uh, Saturday?
2: I thought they were okay. Um, I, I don't know who's two and three yet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought – I think Harburg, you, you can tell um, – Yes, he's still figuring it out. Of course, You would expect that. But there's a lot in the toolbox. You know, he he has a he has a very live arm. You saw it at the end. I mean, going against the wind, he throws that the second to last play where it was four, covered 40 yards. You know, he, he's got a he's got a big arm, and uh, he, he's mobile. And I, I think he's really going to be a fun piece for you know Mario Verduzco to work with. Um, Logan Smothers, I felt I don't want to be unfair to him. Because I think it was, he had kind of a disjointed day because he got a couple snaps in the first quarter, which was supposed to be his time to play. And then the red offense just consumed the football the rest of the quarter. And we didn't see him pop back in until late in the third. But when he sort of got in a rhythm in the fourth quarter, I thought he was effective. He completed four in a row and he finished, I think, hitting seven of his last ten or something like that. So there's going to be a good fight there, um, you know, in the summer and into the fall about who's number two. And I guess the interesting part is, you know, at least after the game, Scott Frost left the impression that uh, that they wouldn't go necessarily put at the top of their list going portal shopping. And that's something to keep a watch on, I think. But um, that tells you that there's at least some belief uh, that those young guys, by the time you get to the end of the summer in August, Uh, They can even take another step and you can feel pretty good about what you have, even if you don't add another quarterback.
0: We're talking Husker football, Brian Christofferson of Huskers 24-7. Yeah, what do you think are – because the transfer portal certainly has a, a glut of guys still out there that are available to add to your roster, and who knows, Nebraska still could have some attrition now that spring is over and the semester ends here in a couple of days. What would be one and two on their list if it's not quarterback? What, where do you think they would look?
2: Good question. Um, I, I don't know that they're – like, obviously, if there's some freak outside linebacker, rush end type guy, you feel like you, you can get here and he fits. You, you always get that type of guy. But guess what? Everybody in the country wants that player, and they're not just uh, walking around every street corner. So they're tough to find. Just like it's tough to find a QB that fits right, slides right into what you want, a guy who's willing to uh, know that Adrian Martinez is the quarterback this year. And, you know, he's going to have to fight his tail off to get ahead of guys who are already deeper in the playbook than he is in a very short amount of time. So I always say I'm not against them adding another quarterback. But this is not – we also have to remember this isn't like a video game where you just can go get a guy and and you give him a player rating and he slides right in and he's automatically better than what you have. So he's got to be a really good fit and he's got to be a quick learner. And that really goes for all the positions. So this is maybe a cop-out answer, but I I honestly think it's the right answer. I think this is uh, like when you're in the NFL draft and they say you go for the best available no matter position – I think that's the situation Nebraska's in here. I don't know that there's one spot where I say they're just desperate. So I think it's got to be it's going to be a guy who you say, "Okay, we don't quite have that itch scratched and he could do it for us." So let's, so let's let's see if he can help out. But the good news is on the defensive side of the ball, as we said earlier, they're they're pretty deep and so it's not like you have to force the issue there.
0: Yeah. All right. The, the scheduling news that popped yesterday: Fordham has been added. They will play in Nebraska. That'll be the home opener on Labor Day weekend on September the fourth. Good move for, by the team to create a bye week later. What? What do you make of the, the the schedule flip?
2: Yeah, I mean Nebraska's already got a tough schedule. Like, I mean, you're going to Oklahoma. You play, play Ohio State, Michigan. This is a this is a loaded schedule. So. Uh, get a game that ideally you should be able to handle and get it early and get some confidence going. And obviously there's the Illinois game before that, which is going to be huge for sort of setting the tone. And as you know, the mood around the state, you know, which is something if you don't play well the first week, you got to deal with overcast skies, um, you know, and and just sort of that feeling of pessimism. So the Illinois game is, is going to be so huge in so many ways, just like the, You know, Colorado games probably the last few years were. Uh, But after that, if you can win there, now you've got Fordham and Buffalo and a couple games where, I mean, Buffalo has a coaching change going on right now, and their whole staff is going to Kansas, and uh, they're losing some players. So, I mean, those games on paper look good for Nebraska. But I like what Cam Taylor-Britt said after the spring game, you know, when you've had four losing seasons in a row, you can't take anybody lightly. You can't act like, oh, this should be a win and just chalk it up that way. And uh, they need to treat each week like it's a Super Bowl. I mean, you have to prep that way and be that type of team that has a chip on your shoulder like you always have something to prove no matter who's in front of you, whether it's Ohio State or Fordham. And uh, that's, that's that's the mindset they need. And I think the good part is, I feel like this roster has some guys like Cam and Adrian who can really reinforce that um, and, and, you know, and hopefully guys, guys buy into that. But yeah, I think it's a good scheduling game. And also it helps with recruiting because it gives them two home games in September and and guys like to visit in September and you're behind a little bit in recruiting. So I think, I think it's a smart move.
0: And and don't fans like to go more in September than November? I mean, that's part of it too, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean your yeah. chance of sitting in better wet now could be really hot. I get that, but for tailgating yeah. purposes, that's that's a great trade for for the folks who come to the games.
2: Yeah, like you say, I mean, you don't know what the weather's going to be, but let's say uh, let's say it's thirty three degrees uh, on November thirteenth mm-hmm. when Nebraska is going to play Southeast Louisiana. Not the most appealing thing in the world um this is much better especially if you beat illinois i mean i can't stress that enough you win that game and everybody's gonna have a little hop in their step like all right nebraska's got a couple of games they can handle here it's hopefully good weather and then and, and then you you get something going before you go to oklahoma so um it, it and yes the fans deserve that reward i think i looked it up and you had to go back to like the early seventies or maybe the sixties to find the last time Nebraska hadn't played at least two games in September at home. Wow. And so it would have been a really it would have been a really oddball scenario. And not a good one for recruiting, not a good one for the fans, and probably not a good one for a team that needs to build confidence through some early season success. So it checked all those boxes by putting that game there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it looks good to me. Brian, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thanks a lot, Robin Washit. Joining us now from HuskerOnline.com. dot com. Hey, Robin, um, happy uh, May May the May the Force be with you today, right? I mean, this is Star Wars Day, right? May the Fourth. You are you? I've not asked you this before. Are you, are you a big Star Wars guy?
3: Yeah, not not really. I've seen so like I saw like the first couple of them, but like after it got to like the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth remake, <laughs> I I lost track of them. <laughs>
0: I didn't know whether you were walking around in a Chewbacca costume today or something like like that. But.
3: Yeah, my my Yoda mask and all that stuff. But no, no, not me.
0: Very good. Well, before we jump into the news from yesterday for Husker basketball, I, I just want your thoughts. I know you were down in Hutch covering the National Junior College tournament because Nebraska's got a couple of well, they got a signee and a commitment that were down in that tournament. What was that what was that tournament like for you? Well, it was my first time going to it, and, you know, you ask anybody
3: that's covered that event, they say it's like one of the sneaky, fun events uh, that you can have, especially around around this part of the country, just because it's um, a unique setting. It's kind of a cool, uh, I don't want to say older facility, because it's a really nice facility, but it's kind of got like a retro look to it inside, and, um, you know, it's a deal where like uh, locally, it gets a lot of fan turnout, because obviously... You know Hutchinson Junior College is right there, but you know there's the uh, the whole Jayhawk Conference. So the Junior College athletics are a big deal in that part of like Central Northern Kansas. And so um, you know it was it was a fun turnout. It was different, you know, obviously because of the lingering uh, effects of COVID. I don't think it was a nearly as well attended as maybe it otherwise would have been, but it was still a good crowd. It was still a fun event, and uh, you can see why that thing is. Um, You know, as highly talked about amongst, you know, sports fans and sports writers alike. So it was was a fun deal.
0: How did the future Huskers look?
3: Yeah, so the two guys were um, the signee is. uh, So there's some discrepancy about how you say his name. I've asked him and he said his name was Kesey, but apparently there's some people that say it's Shay, So I'm going to go with what he told me and kisi Tomanaga, <laughs> the the ranger college shooting guard from japan um they you know they made it all the way to the semifinals and uh, i was able to catch his first game and then uh his last game when they lost uh to cowley um college in kansas in the, in the semifinals uh he lived up to his billing as a dead eye three-point shooter uh you know it was funny in the, the first game he had a a decent game, but still ended up with, like, 14 points. And then uh, in the, the semifinal game, the, the next game I watched, you know, he kind of got off to a real slow start, missed, like, his first four three-point attempts and just kind of seemed out of it. Then all of a sudden, a the uh, switch got flipped, and he knocked down, like, five of his next six threes and ended up with, like, 25 points and, you know, really showed how he can change the course of a game with his three point shooting alone. And so that it was fun to see that in action. And, you know, I mean, there's, he's, he's nicknamed the Japanese Steph Curry and stuff like that kind of shows why where, I mean, he has that type of range where 26 27 28 feet is all within the realm of possibility with his range. And, uh, I mean, he's about as dangerous of a perimeter shooter as as I've personally seen in person in a long time. So, um, that was good obviously he's undersized you know he's listed at six two that's generous because you know standing next to him if he's six two then you know so am i maybe pushing six three and i'm not so uh that it you know he's probably closer to the you know six foot six one range uh and so that's going to be an adjustment at the big ten level And uh, in, in the juco tournament he, he got a couple shots blocks including a you know a couple three-pointers and so physically you know there's, there's going to be a uh Acclamation for him there but if he gets his shot off there's a high percentage that it's going to go in just because of um you know how lethal he is from from that end of it and then uh the other player there is the 2022 commit uh from coffeeville college uh, in kansas blaze Kada uh he's six foot 10 235 pound uh center who uh, committed to nebraska earlier this year and you know he kind of came in as a unknown commodity where, uh, you know, he didn't even really have a rival's profile before Nebraska started showing interest. And, uh, you know, then they gave him a, a three-star ranking. And that's just because no one had really seen him play. There wasn't a lot of film out there on him. And, um, you know, so he was just kind of an unknown. Well, he put himself squarely on the map with his performance down in Hutchinson uh, to where every game that he played during that tournament, they played five en route to winning the national championships. Um, And every game that he played, he got better. Uh, The first game he had, you know, seven points, nine rebounds uh, against, you know, smaller front court. But, you know, by the time he got to the semifinals, he's playing Chipola College, which is based out of Florida, um, where Latme is from. uh, And they have a seven foot three center who's currently uh, committed to. Florida State, you know, he's a he's a three-star, legit seven, three star, legit 250 big guy. And so he dwarfed Blaze, you know, going head to head. And they also have like three or four other guys that are six nine or taller. And so I mean this was a legitimate challenge and just from a, a heightened physicality standpoint. And Blaze got a double double with eleven points and eleven rebounds and completely outplayed the seven foot three kid. So that was kind of one of those where you raised your eyebrows a little bit and you know, said, wow, maybe, maybe this kid's got something. Well, the next day or next night, they go out and play in the national championship game. And on the biggest stage of his basketball career, blaze has the best performance of his basketball career with, um, you know, 27 points, I believe um, nine rebounds, four block shots. And that was with uh, fouling out with uh, the last five minutes or so. So, uh, I mean, he really, like I said, caught the attention of a lot of people with that with that performance. To where a couple days later, by no coincidence, uh, he's bumped up to a four-star prospect by Rivals. So uh, it shows you that Nebraska really knocked it out of the park in identifying a player that not many people knew about, um, but clearly has legit high-major potential. And I know a lot of people are worried with. You know the the chances of him maybe getting poached now that he's you know four-star recruit and and it is a, a known commodity. I don't think that's much of an issue. Um, for one, basketball poaching is is not nearly as prevalent as it is with like college football. But uh, more so, the relationship he has with Nebraska's coaching staff. I mean, that's why he committed to Nebraska over the likes of you know Baylor, Minnesota, um, Arizona State. I believe we're we're all after him. So uh, I mean. I don't think he's going anywhere, and I think Nebraska got themselves a, a pretty good steal for that 22 class.
0: Fantastic. That's encouraging stuff. Again, visiting Robin Washington of HuskerOnline.com here on Sports Nightly. All right, yesterday the news was for the 21 class, and that was, I think it's Karan McPherson, young man mm-hmm. who's from Queens but played at a prep school down in the Ozarks. Uh, wh- what do you like about this guy's game?
3: Well, it's funny because uh, prior to his commitment, I had never even heard of the guy before. Uh, he came completely out of left field from at least everybody outside of Nebraska's programs uh, is concerned. But Nebraska staff has known about him for a long time. Uh, Matt Abdomasi uh, has, I mean, he offered him back when they were at St. John's and has known Quran since he was a sophomore in high school. And so that relationship has been Developing for a while now, and they offered karan uh, back in you know the two, summer of 2020. After he had a real breakout performance at the uh, uh, Pango's All American Camp down in Las Vegas, and you know because of a you know a COVID kind of disrupting his senior season, and then he had a little knee injury, uh, you know, his recruitment kind of stalled a little bit to where you know he was on the brink of getting. Um, you know, a lot more offers, but then there were some schools that just kind of said, we need to see you play before uh, we go forward with our recruitment. So rather than just kind of rush in and make a decision um, with the offers that he had, he decided to take a year of prep school, um, and he went to link year uh, prep down in Branson, Missouri, uh, for a year, and one, to get some more film of himself out there uh, to show that, you know, his, his play at that Pangos camp was not just a fluke, but also to uh, kind of broaden his game a little bit, where he wanted to play a little bit more point guard because uh, scoring was kind of his M.O. Uh, during high school. You know, he could put up a ton of points, but he kind of wanted to show that he could be a combo guard that uh, could facilitate just as much uh, as be a primary scorer. And he ended up averaging around 19 points and four assists per game last year. So he showed the ability to, to do both. Uh, with the basketball, and I think that kind of made his stock rise a little bit to where Nebraska really wasn't in a situation where they needed to take anybody. In fact, I was under the assumption they were just going to hold on to those two available scholarships. But with the relationship Nebraska staff and Karan and McPherson had, um, paired with, you know, kind of his versatility and um, the ability to add another ball handler and, uh, you know, somebody that kind of fits that that versatile mold that uh, Fred, Fred and Matt are looking for when building this roster. It kind of, you know, made it worth the worth the risk. So uh, we'll see where he falls into the pecking order of a already kind of established veteran lineup and then uh, our 2001 signing class that was already you know top 20 before his arrival. Uh, so I mean, w- I think that he's he's another option for Fred and staff to work with, and who knows, maybe he'll surprise some people and uh, vault his way up the depth chart a little
0: bit. Ro- Robin, is there any connection with C.J. Wilcher, the the guy who transferred to Nebraska from Xavier? I saw, I thought I read or something that they that they yeah. have a at least a a acquaintance of each other.
3: Yeah, it's it's more than that. I mean, they've known each other since they were in like sixth ah. grade. Uh, right. and he, I, I asked around about that and he said, "CJ's like a brother to me. So that was another big selling point. And he knows the McGowan's brothers too. Uh, I mean, he wow. uh, knows Bryce and Trey, uh, it seems like everybody knows Bryce and Trey McGowan's I don't, <laughs> they're like the, the yeah. first family of, of high school or <laughs> college basketball right now. But, uh, yeah, that, that was another big selling point. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, I mean, there's another aspect to that where not only is he friends with CJ Wiltshire, you know, he knows CJ's little brother simeon wilcher who if those that don't know is a five-star top 10 player in the 2023 class and so having someone that is another reason for a player like simeon to consider nebraska i mean that in itself makes this a worthwhile commitment and if he can give you anything on the court that's just icing on the
0: cake I like that. Well, okay. If that's he makes the fifth person of this class, you got a couple of transfers that, that are on top of that. When, when do you anticipate some of these guys getting to Lincoln? I mean, we're we're early May. UNL's wrapping up the the spring semester this week. Is this is a June arrivals for some of these guys, or what have you heard?
3: Yeah, it's going to be kind of case by case. I think the majority of them will be here this summer, uh, as early as. Uh, the beginning of June, because I think that's when the first five-week summer session starts. And that's usually when they like to get guys on campus for either the first or second five weeks so they can get some of their academic stuff uh, knocked out before practices begin and just kind of adjust to life on campus and in Lincoln. Uh, but, you know, with uh, you know Tomanaga that's a little bit different story because he's going to be competing in the Tokyo Olympics this summer Mm -hmm. on the Japanese three on three (laughs) uh, national team. And so I guess it kind of just depends on how things go with, with that as far as when, when he arrives. So, you know, I guess it's kind of what you get when you recruit globally, like Nebraska does, but I would say for the most part, uh, I mean, like, Price McGowan has already been on campus, you know, visiting Trey and stuff like that. So, you know, really it's just kind of a, as quickly as they can get here, I would imagine the majority of the class will be here by, uh, the, the second five
0: week session. Very good. Robin, great stuff as always. I'm not sure R2D2 could have done it any better than you did here on May 4th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh,
3: gosh, I wish I could have just even th- throw out a Star Wars reference off my head. Uh, you know, um, yeah, uh, I can't do it.
0: <laughs> I, I, I've written all these down tonight, so I had a head start on yeah, you for you that. Got, thing. you
3: got them up your sleeve.
0: <laughs> exactly. Appreciate good. it. Thank you, Robin. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Coming up in a couple of months now, you're going to have the Cornhusker State Games back. And you're here to tell us all about this year's games. Dave Menarek, who is the Executive Director of the Nebraska Sports Council. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Greg. Are things in your world kind of getting back to some normalcy? What what are things like for you and the, the folks in your office?
4: It feels pretty normal to us. We're gearing up for the biggest and best ever Cornhusker State Games, which is what we do most years about this time. Last year we had uh, we actually kind of got pretty lucky. We 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 hit that window between the kind of the first surge and the second surge and when things were opening up uh, in the summertime we got about two-thirds of our events in so we had a we had a I wouldn't say it it's pretty normal because we did all the guideline things and the protocols and everything but we didn't have any evidence of spread of COVID during the games last year however this year we're looking at a full-on normal we're planning on all the sports so yeah everybody's fired up and doing their thing.
0: Fantastic. Where are we in your calendar? Where are we as far as registrations, deadlines, things folks need to know? And let's just start with giving them the dates for this year's event. You bet. Most of the
4: events are going to be July 16th through the 25th. We have a few outlier events happening the weekend of July. I think I said July. Mm-hmm. July 9th, 10th, that weekend. Uh, we, we've we got our uh, price increase coming up June 17th. So, A little bit of time yet to get your teams together, to get your individual registration ready and get, you know, look over the website, find the sport that's right for you. And don't forget to get in your training. But uh, the Torch Run actually begins right around the 1st of June. And this year we're doing the Torch Run similar to last year. It's virtual. Uh, So that is kind of our first event. But uh, as far as the games themselves, the 16th through the 25th of July.
0: Okay. Um, how about events? Anything new added to the,
4: the list this year? We have one new sport. It's cow racing.
0: <laughs> you had to go there, huh? You just had to go there. I still think I could get it in the 40 yard. We're standing still. I think I beat it in the 40. I really do.
4: <laughs> Greg, I grew up on a cow calf operation. And unless that thing had foot rot or lumpy jaw, <laughs> you aren't going to beat it at any distance 10 feet, 10 yards, 40 yards. No. <laughs> Uh, We do have one new sport. It's axe throwing. Um, A group of people have an axe throwing league here at Craft Axe Throwing in Lincoln. There's a really pretty good sized league in in Omaha and one also in Grand Island. And the sport has kind of taken off. And our board is convinced after their presentation and our recommendation that it's going to be safe. So axe throwing is your new sport for Cornhusker State Games 2021.
0: Fantastic. All
4: right. Uh, If
0: somebody's out there listening, they're going, I I don't really want to, I don't want to participate, but I want to help. Do you need volunteers? Do you need people to help put this thing on?
4: You bet. We're always looking for volunteers and, you know, right along with the participant registration at cornhuskerstategames.com. There's volunteer registration. So let us know. And if there's a sport you'd really like to help with, or one of our, Needs that we're always seeming to, you know, really kind of be looking to the last minute as medical and safety volunteers. Anyone that's comfortable administering first aid can be a medical volunteer. So that's an area of emphasis. But yeah, certainly can use all the help we can get. Every year we have about three thousand volunteers, so a lot of spots to fill yet.
0: Fantastic, that's great. How how big a sport has pickleball
4: become for you guys? Uh. It's big. Uh, the number of triple-digit numbers, like sports with over a hundred participants, is probably somewhere around under fifteen. You know, right. your team sports usually get big numbers. Sure. Pickle sports probably one of our pickleball is probably one of our top five individual registration sports, wow. and it just continues to grow. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a very popular event in the state games.
0: I just hear more and more people talk about it and and I don't 10 years ago I don't I don't think I did. It's just it's like it's really exploded in the last decade and great. That's fantastic. And I know several people that are really serious about it. They travel around the Midwest and play playing tournaments and they're looking for events like that. So I I had a feeling it was probably getting pretty big for you. Okay, let's again talk for the folks. Uh, If they're thinking about this, how much time do they have to kind of put, if if they're going to do a team thing, how how much time do they have to kind of try to organize a team and get get a group together?
4: Well, you should key on on June 17th. That's when you want to have your, your registration all finalized and everything. Of course, the sooner the better. The final deadline for most sports is right after the fourth of July. I think it's the fifth of July, so that's kind of the the final date. But save some money, get it in be, on or before June seventeenth. Fantastic,
0: Dave. Great to catch up with you. Thanks for the jab. Love that. Um, and we'll be we'll be in touch. We'll probably try to get you on that week of the seventeenth, just to give people one last shot to get their get their entries in for you.
4: That would be great. Thank you for having me on, Greg. That's going to put a
0: bow on this show tonight. Thanks to Ben, to Austin, to Mick, and all of you for listening here tonight. Enjoy the rest of your night. We're back tomorrow. Good night.